0: Amen. Thanks, Pastor John. Uh, Well, you can open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, You can turn on your Bible app, or you can just follow along on the screen as I'll read these verses in a bit. Uh, But I want to share a story with you this morning that will help us make sense of all that God has done, uh, not just in our church, but even in the individual lives of these friends that we've heard from today and seen Baptized. You see, when we started Redemption Hill Church twelve years ago, we started because God is the God of story, and He is the God of stories. All right, so just just let me unpack that for you. Uh, first, God is. The God of story, when we come to the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books written over hundreds of years, even centuries, we come to one unified story. It's the story of God's plan and his love and his desire to have a relationship with us. And we see this unfold throughout the centuries, ultimately culminating in the coming of Jesus Christ as the climax of the story where God demonstrates his love through Christ. His brutal death on a Roman cross and his glorious resurrection so that all who look to Jesus can experience life. And that's why I say God is not just the God of story, but he is the God of stories, Because God has his eye on each and every one of us here today. God cares about your story. And he has a plan for you. Just like you heard about the lives of these people before they met Jesus and why they wanted to follow Jesus and how Jesus is changing them now that they follow him. God has an amazing story that he desires to write and to continue to write in our lives and even the story of redemption hill the the church by the way in case if you don't know now you know all right The, the church is a group of people they simply follow Jesus, okay? So a church is not a building. I mean, sometimes, you know, we get confused, although I think coming to Metford High School, we probably are more aware that, th- that this church is not a building, right? But, but a church is a group of people who follow Jesus together. And for the past 12 years, God has been writing a beautiful story among the imperfect people and the imperfect leaders known as Redemption Hill Church. We've seen lives changed. We've seen hearts touched. We've seen people set free from chains of their past and addiction to find life in Jesus Christ. We found that not only does God have a concern for us as individuals, but he actually brings us into a new family that come together on Sundays and meet in groups throughout the week and serve together on teams. And all the things that you see here happening today are a result of the people known as Redemption Hill just coming together and say, we love God. We want to worship him. And we love our community. We want everyone to know about Jesus. And that's why as a church, we've served our city and we've found ways to display the tangible love of Christ in very tangible ways and so we celebrate all God has done in these past 12 years and yet we look forward to all that God has in store in the future and so, to connect these stories, I want to share a story with you out of the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 9. What we're going to find here as we, we hear the story are there are two main characters, all right? You have a man named David and a man named Mephibosheth. And these two men could not have lived more different lives. On the one hand, you have David, the son of Jesse, who as a boy was doing ordinary things that boys do with their dad, who was a shepherd, and he is out in the fields working his job, taking care of the sheep, when a prophet named Samuel comes to the family and says, hey, one of your sons, God has an assignment for him. And God tells Samuel, hey, I'm going to let you know which son I have this special assignment for and the oldest steps forward and then the second oldest and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. And, and Samuel's like, are there any more sons? Oh, there's the youngest. He's taking care of the sheep. Bring him here. And in that moment, David was anointed as the future king of Israel. That was his story as a boy. But that was not Mephibosheth's story. See, Mephibosheth was the son of a man named Jonathan, who was the son of a man named Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And Saul did a couple good things, but overall, he didn't trust God with his life, and God brought his kingship to a close. And when God removed Saul from being the king of Israel, it was a great danger to Mephibosheth and his family. So much so that as a five-year-old boy, the, the woman who took care of him, you can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It says that the woman, his nurse, who took care of him, picked him up as a five-year-old, and they ran out. Why is that? Because a departing king leaves a vacancy for a new king, and the former king's family is viewed as a threat to the new king. And so basically, they had to flee for their lives because whoever that next king was gonna be might take out the former royal family. But as Mephibosheth is picked up and they run out, we don't know the details, but all we know is the nurse drops this precious five-year-old boy. And he broke his legs in an irreparable way. And he was crippled in both feet the rest of his life. David, of course, struck down the giant and he was a national hero. People sang songs about David. They loved and adored David, but Mephibosheth was an outcast. He was unknown. He lived in a forsaken place known as Lodabar, which some scholars believe means the place of nothingness or no pastor. In other words, there wasn't much life there. Nothing like the friendly beautiful confines of Jerusalem. And so I hope you can see that these two men, they, they, they lived in separate universes, separate realities. They could not have been more different. And that's where we pick up the story in Second Samuel chapter 9. It says this, And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of saul now the first readers that would have heard this like uh uh-oh does david want to like make sure there are no threats to the throne here like is he going to if there are people remove them from the kingdom but what does it say is there anyone still left of the house of saul that i may show him kindness for jonathan's sake Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now, now, let's pause and understand. Ziba is letting David know that he is crippled in his feet because he is communicating to David, hey, there is still a son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth, but Mephibosheth is no use to you. He can't even walk. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Emiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Emiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face to pay homage And in this moment, as Mephibosheth is on his face before David, he has no clue if he is about to be kicked out of the kingdom or even killed. And David says, Mephibosheth, he calls him by name. And Mephibosheth still doesn't know what's about to happen, so he says what? In chapter nine, verse six, behold, I am your servant. In other words, Mephibosheth is saying, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you need me to do. You're the king. But David says to him in verse seven, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan who was David's best friend growing up in the kingdom, in the kingdom of Saul. And he says this to Mephibosheth, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I I hope you're entering into the story and can feel the the drama and the suspense and the fear that Mephibosheth would have felt as he made his way from Lodabar and traveled on the backs of perhaps donkeys as those helped him because he certainly couldn't move himself. But he comes into the palace fearing for his life. And yet David says, do not fear, you belong here. You belong here. Some kings may count you as an enemy to be removed, but I count you as a friend who is to be cared for. And as we look at this story, I hope you see that this is our story. This is our story. And as you consider that, I want to ask you is, as you think about the story, are you putting yourself in the shoes of David? Or are you putting your shoes in, yourself in the shoes of Mephibosheth? Because I have, I have a sneaky suspicion that most of us have a pretty high view of ourselves, right? And so it's like, hey, I'm the one that's showing kindness here. I'm the one that's, if people need help, I'm going to help them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, you know, the, the, the man, the woman that's helping others out and doing good. Not the one who needs help. Not the one who has no help, hope apart from the help of other people. But what I want to share with you today is that I am Mephibosheth. And if you don't know, friends, I want to tell you, you are Mephibosheth. We, we are Mephibosheth because we are needy we are needy. If you if you do not see this in your life, you are not going to understand what it truly means to step into the story of God. You see, we 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 again think that, you know, we have it all together. I mean, if it, when it comes to the invitation of God, God is calling to the world, he's calling to us, he's calling to, to you right here this morning, and, and we hear the invitation of God, hey, I want you to, to know me, I want you to follow me, I want you to love me. Most of us walk into God's room like this. You ready for this? Oh man, what's up God? You know me, I'm here. I'm here, God. Do people not strut anymore? You don't know about that swag when you got, walk with a little bounce in your stuff. You might just do like a subtle strut, but still. Like when you're feeling good about yourself, family, you strut. You know, you're just feeling good a little bit. You, you change that gait a little bit. And it's like, God, I'm here. Look at me, God. Look at all the good things that I do for you, God. Look at all the good things that I do for other people. Check out the resume of my life. I work hard. God, don't you know? I live in Boston after all. We all work hard around here. We're all ambitious. We all do our thing. And we're not so bad. I mean, you know, maybe maybe a couple little things here or there, but, but we're not bad. I mean, I don't swear like that guy at work, God. But if we dig a little deeper into the spiritual resume of our lives, we start seeing all kinds of problems. Amen. I mean, listen, uh, I have a 2009 uh, Accord. Love it. It was a gift from my parents who are here today. Thank you, mom and dad. Still driving it. All right. It's got 182,000 on it. And uh, it's, it's going. It's going. But, but let me tell you something now. I got to tell you, uh, I had a little, I haven't told my parents yet. I had a little trouble with the starter lately. And so it's got me thinking, especially if my wife has to drive it, because this is one thing if I get stranded, but it's another thing if Marsha gets stranded. You know what I'm saying? It's just different. It's just different. So, um, so I'm thinking, like, okay, I mean, pray, but God, do I need to get a new car? Like, what do I do here? I want to drive it to the wheels, fall off, it's paid for, whatever. But I don't know if it's reliable. And so I've started at night. When the kids go to bed, I'm like starting what what you do when you need a new car. Like looking on Facebook Marketplace, looking at car gurus, looking at true car, trying to figure out what. And and when you buy a car, what do you do? If you're smart, you go read the car facts. And every time I see an amazing deal and I go to the car facts, I see theft. (laughs) I see accident reported three times i see damage in the structure under the surface and that's what our lives are like friends when you look at the facts of our lives we see that ultimately while yes we're not completely evil. We, we do some good things in life and, and, and we have God's common grace on us because we're made in his image. We also look out for us. We, we, are, pride, we are prideful. We lust. We, we covet. We want what doesn't belong to us. We're filled with envy and jealousy. Everyone can do good around us as long as they're not doing as good as we are. And we compare and our insecurities are revealed. And even the standards that we set for ourselves, you and I both know, we don't even meet our own standards, much less the standard of God in our life. See, we are needy. And what I'm here to tell you today is this. Listen, God loves a humble heart. God loves a humble heart. We look for outstanding, right? Like we want to see that the best people and the nicest people and the most accomplished people, but God loves ordinary people. God loves those who are outcast. God loves those who are overlooked. God loves those who are oppressed. And here's the thing, listen. When God sees us, He sees someone who he loves, whom he made, who he wants to save and redeem. And he sees someone who has the potential of outstanding all over them. Because listen, when God looks at you, he doesn't see ordinary. He sees someone who is extraordinarily made in his image, who he wants to fill up with all of who he is. When God sees you, he doesn't see someone who is just oppressed by life and the things of this world and the people that are surrounding us and coming against us, but he sees someone who he wants to lift up. When God sees someone who is overlooked, he says, look, I have never, ever taken my eyes off of you. You are no outcast. You are no outcast at all. You belong here we are needy but listen we belong in the presence of god for one reason and one reason only listen friends god is gracious god is gracious we see this in the story again and again through this one word called kindness three times it pops up in the story David says that he wants to show kindness to someone from the house of Saul. He describes it as the kindness of God to someone from the house of Saul. So much so that he says, I want them to always be with me, to always eat at my table. This word for kindness is the Hebrew word chesed. That's why we named our daughter chesed. And we find it 250 times in the Old Testament. It's translated as mercy, loving kindness, steadfast love, and simply kindness. And it refers to the covenant love of God, the faithful, promise-keeping love of God. Scholars would tell us that it is almost untranslatable. It is so full of meaning and loaded with grace. It is the Old Testament equivalent of the word grace. And god is saying look you may be a mephibosheth you may be very very needy but my grace is for you and i am inviting you to have a seat at my table but how does this happen this happens because god kept every one of his promises and he sent his son into the world and now Through his son, Jesus Christ, God is saying, come. You need to not only understand that we are needy and God is gracious, but you need to hear today that Jesus says, come. He says, come to every single one of us here today. You see, Jesus is always the story. He is the the story of the Bible. He is the hero of the story, and he wants to be the hero of the story of your life here today and this happens listen this happens because Jesus is the true and greater David who not only invites us to have a seat at God's table but who dies on a cross for our sin you see the only reason that we can experience the grace of God is because God treats us as Jesus deserved because Jesus was treated like we deserve on the cross. Jesus dies in our place. He bears the penalty for our sin. He allows there to be a way for our sin to be forgiven, to be washed away so that if we look to him and place our faith in him, we will experience life here and now and forever. And so what I want to invite you to today listen if you if you are in Christ then you have already said I am needy God is gracious Jesus I heard your voice I'm home. But if you're in a different part of the story I want to share with you that following Jesus is not complicated. It's not hey, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you and now I gotta keep a a list of like a thousand things of do's and don'ts, that's not it. It's as simple as A, B, C. Number one, A, admit your need for God. We are needy. God, I need you, I'm not perfect, I'm less than perfect, I'm far less than perfect, I've sinned against other people and God, most of all, I have sinned against you and I understand my sin separates me from you. But God, I see that you are gracious, that you sent Jesus to live the life that I should have lived, to die the death, that I should have died on the cross so that if I believe in Jesus, I can now have a brand new life through him. And therefore now I see commit to follow Jesus all the days of my life, just like you heard in the stories of these friends today. And so I wanna invite Caleb to to come out and help us in a time of response. But we're going to to stand and sing in just a moment. But first, I want to encourage you right where you are just to pray and say thank you to God if you have said, I am Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. But perhaps today is the first time that it really makes sense that the, the story of Jesus is not just some disconnected story that we hear about sometimes around Christmas or Easter, but he is really the son of God who really came for me so that I might have life. And so listen, I wanna encourage you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And if, if you want to, on this very special day, if you desire to follow Jesus, would you just in your own words, and it doesn't even have to be audible, just between you and God right there in the quietness of your heart, would you say, God, I need you? God, thank you for sending your son into the world. I believe in Christ and his loving sacrifice for me. And because of your love, God, I commit to follow you all the days of my life. And listen, friends, if you've already made that decision, it's always good for our souls just to say, One more time, a thousand more times, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my story. And so, Father, I thank you for your love today, God. I thank you for the story that you're writing. You're the God of story and you're the God of stories. And God, we ask that as we respond to you, as we celebrate who Jesus is, as we speak Jesus over this room and over the lives of each other here today, God, that For those that are taking that step of faith to follow you for the first time, we say thank you. We celebrate, Lord, the goodness of your grace and kindness to us. We are Mephibosheth. And God, for those of us who followed you many years ago, we say thank you. We rejoice in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and let's get ready to sing. And as you can see, we have a prayer team here. We do this every Sunday at Redemption Hill. This is not anything special. We we pray for people because we love people. If you have anything going on in your life that you need prayer for, maybe you're concerned for someone in your life, maybe you have a personal need, stuff is crazy or whatever. Maybe you need healing over something, a, a spiritual, emotional, even a physical pain. We believe, we saying that God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. And listen, if you made that step today, To go all in with Jesus. I want to encourage you to come forward and let our prayer team know that just by saying, I'm all in. Just those three words. I'm all in because they want to pray over you and you, we want to encourage you in your journey with Jesus. All right. So let's sing together as we look to God and worship Him.